Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A new report finds that climate change is chiefly responsible for the growing frequency and severity of California's wildfires. And the report's authors are even ready to give percentage figures. From KCRW in Santa Monica, here's reporter Kaylee Wells with the numbers. 70 to 88% responsible. The team of researchers from UCLA and Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory based that estimate on how quickly dry air sucks up moisture. That is called the vapor pressure deficit. The higher the deficit, the drier the land, and the drier the land, the worse the fires. That deficit has grown in the past 40 years. That's partly because of natural fluctuations and partly because more carbon dioxide in the air means warmer air that holds more moisture. National weather fluctuations used to be a reliable predictor for fire danger. Today, influences like plant growth and cloud cover only explain between 12 and 30 percent of the heightened fire danger. The remaining responsibility? Climate change. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. And in other news, Pacific Gas and Electric says it's received a subpoena from federal prosecutors in connection with this summer's catastrophic Dixie Fire. KQED's Dan Brecky has more. The Dixie Fire started in July, apparently when a tree fell across a PG&E power line in Plumas County. The fire burned nearly one million acres over the next three months and has led to investigations by CAL FIRE and by prosecutors in several counties. That list of probes is growing. In a newly released financial report, the utility said the U.S. Attorney's Office in Sacramento served a subpoena last month ordering the company to produce documents related to the fire. PG&E also expects to face more than $1 billion in liabilities due to the blaze, the second largest in California history. The company said it expects those costs to be covered by insurance, the state's new utility wildfire fund, and ratepayers. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. Like so many other places in the country, California is grappling with its racist past. It's also looking at the idea of reparations for African Americans and black descendants of slaves. A new task force is studying this issue, and families are coming forward to share their experiences. CAP Radio's race and equity reporter Sarah Mises Tan has this story of a Sacramento area family and their fight to write history. Out along a wooded road off Highway 49 in the gold rush town of Coloma stands a boarded up building. So right now we're standing in front of the Coloma Emanuel Church here in the town of Coloma. I'm out here with Jonathan Burgess. The church may look run down, but to him and his family, it means a lot more. 
Burgess dug deep into family documents and old deeds. Now, he and his family believe that this church, as well as much of the land surrounding it, was once owned by his great-great-grandfather. That is, until he says it was taken, using eminent domain by the state of California and made into a park. As a kid, I remember coming up here. It was just dusty roads, is my memory. And an older, you know, uh, you know, uncle, that my grandfather's brother, that could no longer talk. He would just point and cry. And now, as an adult, piecing this history together, I get why he was crying. Burgess is trying to make a legal case to get his land back. There are others doing the same. This is happening as California grapples with its legacy of oppression of people of color, in particular African Americans. The state has created a reparations task force to discuss how it might begin to apologize and make up for discriminatory policies and actions. Javon Scott Lewis is a geography professor at UC Berkeley and part of the state's task force. He says in order for California to grow into the state it is today, it had to take land from people of color. You still, you know, have a need to develop in largely already populated places. And so the only way that you can do that is through the removal of people, right, of communities, of landholders who, you know, to put it bluntly, are in the way. He says eminent domain was applied unequally, in particular to African-American communities that may not have had the power or money to resist. And the taking of this land has impacted generations of Californians. It is the interruption of intergenerational wealth, especially African-American communities who've had to, who've had to give up their land. You know, what you have is also an interruption to the stability of community development. So with that... Let's sign this bill and turn this property over. That's the sound of an event with Governor Gavin Newsom earlier this year. He enacted a new law and officially returned a strip of coastline back to an African-American family in Los Angeles. This case, called Bruce's Beach, has now become a landmark. For the descendants of the Bruce family, but for all of those families torn asunder because of racism all across this country. Kevon Ward helped lead the Bruce's Beach effort with her organization, Where Is My Land? So many people are expecting for Bruce's Beach to be the blueprint. Now she's been asked to help other families do the same, but she says the path is not easy. What people don't understand is that the alignment was there, right? The right people in the state assembly, the right people in the state senate, the right people in the county were there. I do believe that we will have success in other cases. We just have to figure out what that alignment looks like. For Jonathan Burgess and his family, he hopes that public advocacy and education about his family's legacy in Coloma can eventually spur lawmakers to similar action. For now, his family has contacted a law firm to help them gather documents for their case. And he's testified before the state's reparations committee to share his story. He hopes his family will see the return of the property and the renovation of the church soon. For The California Report, I'm Sarah Mises-Tan in Sacramento. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. 
This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. A Southern California judge has ruled in favor of pharmaceutical companies after local governments sued them for their role in the opioid epidemic. Los Angeles, Orange, and Santa Clara counties and the city of Oakland were seeking billions of dollars, arguing that drug makers had misled both doctors and patients by downplaying the risks of opioids. But in a tentative ruling yesterday, Orange County Superior Court Judge Peter Wilson said the local governments had failed to prove the companies were using deceptive marketing practices practices to increase unnecessary opioid prescriptions. The plaintiffs say they plan to appeal the ruling. The federal government says nearly half a million Americans have died from opioid abuse since 2001. In the wake of the Taliban seizure of power in Afghanistan, Sacramento is struggling with an influx of refugees from the country. Yesterday, a high-ranking Biden administration official returned home to better understand the situation. Here's KQED's Katie Orr with more. U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, a Sacramento native, spoke with refugees at the local branch of the International Rescue Committee. He heard about the struggles of finding affordable housing, getting around without a car, and enrolling children in school. Becerra acknowledged refugees are coming into an already stressed system. It is tough for Americans to find housing in some of these localities. It is tough for Americans to navigate some of the system. And so we have to work with the Afghan families so they recognize our realities. The large Afghan community in Sacramento draws refugees to the area. The local IRC estimates they'll help resettle about 2,000 people here this year. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. The state's Independent Redistricting Commission is in the middle of a map-drawing marathon for legislative districts with new borders. And the recently released drafts show big shifts in who Northern California might send to Congress. CAP Radio's politics reporter Nicole Nixon has more. Using fresh census data, state, local, and federal political maps are redrawn every 10 years to account for population changes over the past decade and to even out representation. The maps by the nonpartisan commission are by no means final, but they show some potentially big shakeups in Northern California's congressional districts. For Democratic redistricting expert Paul Mitchell, the biggest head-scratcher is the district currently held by Republican Congressman Doug LaMalfa. In the latest draft, it stretches from the northeast along the Oregon border into the college town of Davis. There's going to be a lot of, you know, lefty, vegetarian, latte-drinking Davisites uh, calling into the commission, I think to tell them that they do not want to be put into that district. The unofficial draft also shows the Arden-Carmichael area being combined with Roseville, Rockland, and Folsom into a potentially competitive swing district that could affect this historically Republican seat. Mitchell says the maps will likely undergo some significant changes before the final drafts are adopted by the end of the year. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. 
As leaders from across the globe meet at the UN Climate Change Conference in Scotland, a group of representatives from California is speaking out about the need for action. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, who chairs C40, a climate coalition of 97 cities, says more than a thousand cities from across the globe have pledged to reach net zero emissions by 2050. It's the equivalent of 733 million global citizens taking 1.5 gigatons of carbon out of this Earth's atmosphere. And if you wanted to rank that, that's like taking a country that would be somewhere between the fifth and fourth most populous countries in the world and eliminating their carbon because of this pledge. Along with the actions of cities and countries, Garcetti also commended young people for helping lead the fight against climate change, even during a time of so much uncertainty like during the pandemic. Those students who had to be at home in the best years of their life, who missed graduations and proms, who missed those moments that were most important. And I want to thank the youth leaders who have fueled this moment and who have fueled this movement as well. The Los Angeles mayor says two-thirds of C40 cities have set or met emission targets that are equal to or exceed the targets outlined in the Paris Climate Agreement. Nature, it constantly surprises, like this story. Geneticists at the San Diego Zoo have revealed the first ever case of condor reproduction by just a single parent. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has the details. Testing revealed two young condors reared by two separate mothers had only one parent. Their eggs were not fertilized by male sperm. Actor Jeff Goldblum talked about asexual dinosaur reproduction in the 1993 movie Jurassic Park. I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. It hit us in the face. We weren't looking for it. We didn't expect it. San Diego Zoo geneticist Oliver Ryder says genetic testing of the captive and wild populations of California condors is a regular occurrence as researchers work to maintain genetic diversity. The species almost went extinct 30 years ago. Ryder says the genomes of the mothers and offspring are the same, confirming the findings. It happened twice when the population was small. Will it happen again when the population gets bigger? I think that's an important question. These are the first known cases of reproduction without fertilization in California condors, something called parthenogenesis. And it's the first time genetic testing has confirmed the phenomenon. Zoo researcher Cynthia Steiner says the development is also unique because there were fertile males present, but asexual reproduction happened anyway. Knowing that this is not like a, a random individual we found, this is two individuals from two separate families so uh, that were able to uh, be generated using proteinogenesis, we might think that this is not as uncommon as we, we, we thought before. The California condor is the largest flying bird in the world with wingspans that can reach nine feet. The population shrank to 22 birds in the 1980s. There are now more than 500 living condors, both in captivity and flying free. For the California Report, I'm Eric Anderson in San Diego. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, November 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez, and wherever you are in the Golden State or beyond, have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Hint fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, 
committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.